Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Everyone and welcome back to our lovely little side of the podcast world. Today we are bringing some myths and legends to life from the big screens to the classic stages. From what I've heard through Cat and I's back and forth texts, I have a feeling that our stage myths are going to add a lot of drama to the conversation today, so we'll be keeping the silver screen stories shorter in length. As for our interesting facts to start off the episode, I'm going to go all the way back to 1939 when The Wizard of Oz was released. We will see, we see snow effects all the time in movies, and I got to experience some firsthand for myself when I was a figure skating elf in Santa Claus 2. The crew's number one rule on the set for the children was to not attempt to eat the toxic snow, but thankfully it was not as toxic as it could have been. In The Wizard of Oz, the snow that falls on Dorothy and her friends in the poppy field was made out of a substance that causes widespread panic today, asbestos. (laughs) Well, they didn't. Yep. The toxic white flakes weren't only used on that set. It was, in fact, a very popular form of fake snow everywhere in North America and Europe, including in people's homes. I swear, every time I hear about a kind of, like, material or substance being used on the set of Wizard of Oz, like, so much of it I feel like was toxic. Like, the paint that, like, the Tin Man was, like, painted... I heard that was toxic too. I haven't fact checked that. It it, it but... was. They actually had to replace um, the actors for the Tin Man because no. the first actor uh, had to go to the hospital because he was breathing in. Like they actually put like real tin in stuff into the paint, like and used right. that. And so he was literally breathing in tin and had to go to the hospital. And then they figured out a different way of painting for the second actor. Okay, like. I was going to say, if they used the same paint twice, I was going to have a lot of questions. But No, they did fix the paint. Um, like, and I actually had a note like, at the end saying, like, these poor actors just couldn't get a break from almost being killed because the <laughs> lady who played the Wicked Witch of the West, she also almost got killed when the elevator that they were using for her scene um, at, like, like, at the beginning of Munchkinland... Um, one of the times when she was going down and then the fireball was supposed to come up, they timed it wrong and she had to be rushed to the hospital as they had to try to get all of the paint off of her to, in order to help her heal her burns. 
because like the green paint was literally basically melting into her skin. Oh my word! Like seriously, okay. Are we sure? Are we super super sure that the entire making of the like OG Wizard of Oz? Are we entirely sure that that wasn't someone trying to make a hit on that entire crew? Like I, are they okay? Like I mean, oh. Oh my word. They had issues after Just everything on that set was trying to kill them. How did they stick that out? I, like, ugh. I have no idea. As soon as you said Wizard of Oz, I was like, come on, not again. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh my so word. So they literally just laid in a field of asbestos. <laughs> was that one of your cursed movies, The Wizard of Oz? Because it sounds pretty cursed to me. <laughs> Um, I was going to do Wizard of Oz, but then I decided not to because I found four other films that were just as interesting or even better. Oh my word. But yeah, so Kat, what did you find for your interesting? My interesting fact didn't get anybody killed, or almost get anybody killed at least. No. My interesting fact was, we're talking about Macbeth for mine, right? So there's, uh... The Witch's Curse in Macbeth is uh, fairly relatively famous. I had the quote right in front of me like two seconds ago and I closed it because I was like, oh, I don't need to quote it, but I kind of do want to. Here it is. So The Witch's Curse in Macbeth, where it like spells out like what they put in their potion, one of the times where they spell out like what they put in their potion, right? I have newt, toe of frog, wool of bat, tongue of dog, outer spork and blind robe sting, a lizard's leg and owlet's wing. For a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell, broth boil and bubble, double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, is the line, right? Yeah. Sounds super duper creepy. I have newt, not actually a newt's eye. What is it? Mustard seed. Interesting. So, uh, witches back at the time, who we know now were usually just herbalists, midwives, and healers, um, with a bad reputation, used code to describe their herbs and were like super secretive about their recipes so they'd communicate with each other about it and like obviously they didn't want to get caught out for practicing medicine essentially in a time where they could literally be killed for it and so they used these codes and they had there's like there's whole charts that you can find online breaking down like okay if it says eye of something it means seed if it says toe it means leaf it like breaks down the whole thing right so in shakespeare's famous witch's spell i just did the first because there's like a bunch of things listed there but eye of newt is believed to be mustard seed toe of frog was believed to be buttercup leaves wool of bat was moss and tongue of dog was a type of flower called hound's tongue interesting so no animals were harmed in the making of these spells and we can stop using the creepy animal parts imagery now and just use herbs like normal people (laughs) okay no that makes that's interesting that's my takeaway I want to know, I kind of, like, I want to know what it would taste like all put together, or if it would be, like, poisonous and stuff if you combined everything. I want to, like, I want to know, I kind of want to dig a little deeper into what that spell would actually compose, but... Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of (laughs) cool. And then on that note... It's about to get super not light. (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna get super not wholesome of just fun herbs. (laughs) Okay, so today I'm going to take everyone through some of the craziest stories that came from the sets of both major blockbusters and some flops. I'm actually shocked that some of these ever got made in the first place, um, let alone became ultimate classics. Um, I do have some warnings scattered throughout, but I do want to give you guys all an overall warning that a lot of these stories are fairly dark and tragic. They're still worth knowing and remembering, though, when we watch the films in 
question like these films in question um in respect for all of those who were involved in the making of these films because it cannot have been easy for everyone on these sets okay so the first film i want to talk about winter kills um, is a film from 1979 it's a dark satirical comedy based off of a off of a book that was inspired by jfk's assassination Two producers came on board who were wealthy marijuana dealers, Robert Sterling and Leonard Goldberg. This caused... Interesting career choice, but all right. I agree, um, but I'm guessing that they maybe read the book and thought, like, hey, we could probably do this. Like, we got the money for it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, it or, caused... Yeah. Yeah, so it caused a lot of issues with the production, mainly to do with money at first. Um, okay. The finances were erratic. And the film went over budget super fast. Ooh. And it got to the point where cast and crew said that they would be called to a hotel, to a hotel room and handed envelopes of well-used cash as their pay. Interesting. This cash then quickly dried up itself, and many members of the film ended up working for free until the union caught wind and forced production to shut down in 1977. Yeah. You can't just get your actors to work for free, honey. This isn't a passion project. They have a job It was to do, crew like... and actors who all were then working for free until the union caught wind and was like, yeah, no, not happening. Yeah, no, no. Leonard Thanks. Goldberg was murdered partway through filming, and many believe there was the mafia as they were threatening the, like, the production to begin with. No. Sterling uh, ended up in prison with a 40-year sentence for smuggling marijuana. Um, this film was then put on hold until the stars, Jeff Bridges and Belinda Bauer, could make enough money on another film with the director-slash-writer uh, William Richard. And it was a box office bomb as it made o barely over a million compared to its $6.5 million budget. But it has become a cult classic after Rickert got the rights to the film and fixed some of the editing changes that the studio had made, um, and then it was re-released in 1983. Oh my word! So it like bare like it like it lost money initially on launch. A lot, and of money, then yeah. only, and then only made a comeback because someone was like, "Nah, this ain't right," and like bought it and like took it into their own hands. Yeah, so like the director slash writer of it then like got like bought the rights to the film. Um, and then he fixed some of the editing, like, some of the changes that the studio had made. Um, right. So that, and then re-released it in 1983. Sometimes I feel like studios make changes, like, they just completely ignore the artistic direction and then just make whatever changes they want. And it feels, like, weird that they can just do that because they don't understand the story as well, much as the people who, like, spent all this time working on I don't know. Yeah, well, like, like it gives me weird vibes when studios step in like that artistically. Like, I don't... Mm. The I'm, studios are yeah. the ones that are pretty much putting forth most of the money. And sure, but like working in film before, like I can totally tell that, like I can totally see how, like the studio, they think that like, they're the big wigs that can little that can just make the changes where they're like, no, we want it this way, and because we're putting forth the money and you're on our mm -hmm. payroll, therefore you'll make but, those changes for us. Which like is a perspective that I understand like could be like super common, but like I just I have questions for that because like you hired the director. Like do you not trust the director's vision? Why did you why did you hire them if you didn't think that they could do a good job? Like Yeah. 
I think that's the part to me that just doesn't make sense. Like you hired someone to do the job and then you stepped over them and said like, oh, actually, I, I don't like what you're doing. I want to do it this way. It's like, okay, if you wanted to do that, then why didn't you direct the film? Like, I Yeah, no, it I, makes I sense. Know. Like that totally makes sense. And like, I don't even understand it, but I'm just like, <laughs> just knowing like the movie point of view. Yeah. it That's basically what it is, is it's you go where the money is and the yeah. studios are the ones with the money. Yeah. So you listen to them uh, because if not, you don't have a job. Totally. Yeah. That's okay. just gonna be weird vibes whenever that happens. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the next movie is the Twilight Zone movie from 1982. Um, I'm going to ha- I'm going to give a major warning for listeners. Um, this story does involve the tragic death of two children, but it's worth mentioning it so that they are remembered. This incident also did change a lot of safety rules in the film industry, so their deaths were not completely in vain. Like, it made it safer for a lot more, uh, more people. It's John- obviously tragic that they had to die for that to happen, but, yeah. like, at least that yeah. happened. Like, at least it. there was actually changes made to make it safer, that it wasn't that they ha- like they like this happened, and then, every- and then nothing changed. Um, yeah. So John Landis, the director, uh, broke California's child labor laws and hired seven-year-old Micah Dinah Lee and six-year-old Renee Shinyi Chen without the correct permits. Already, already off the yeah. bad start. Let's not be exploiting children out here, sir. Let's not do that. Um, Landis and other crew members broke a variety of other labor violations throughout the filming, especially relating to this incident. The kids were brought on when Renee's uncle was approached, who knew someone from the production company. The families thought the kids would love the experience and were never told that the children would be near explosives or helicopters during the filming. How do you conveniently leave that out? Like, I'm sorry. No, that's, that's not, that's not okay. It gets worse. Oh my word. The production paid the parents for the kids' work under the table so that they could get around the fact that they were using them for night scenes and around explosives. Because in, like, the California child labor laws, that wasn't allowed. Like, kids weren't allowed to work night scenes and definitely weren't allowed on a set with explosives or anything like that. Yeah, for obvious reasons. That's insane. Those laws are there for a reason. Why? Yeah. Um, Uh The associate producer even told the parents not to tell the firefighters that there were children in the scene, and they hid the kids from safety officials who were already concerned about possible accidents on the set for, like, this evening in question. What the hell? No, you, okay, no, okay, 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 okay. There, that, I, oh my god, okay. I don't even know how they hid the children, though, because the scene called for Vic Moreau, um, who was, like, the main actor, to carry the children out of a deserted village and across a shallow river while they're being pursued by a hovering helicopter carrying American soldiers. Like, the kids were very evidently in the scene for when they were actually filming it. Right. So how could you hide them? Like, the safety officials should have been able to see that. Like, that's... Uh, okay, so first of all, the direction to hide children from safety officers is fucked up. Like, what if something did go wrong? Like, well, I mean, o- like, obviously, I'm assuming that this is where this is going now, but, like, the firefighters would have no chance of finding them because they wouldn't know they, they were there. Like, even, like, 
like oh i work in a library okay like comparatively not a terribly dangerous career and even we have to let each other know where we are at all times because if something happens we need to know who's in the building and like who's not and who needs to be pulled out if need be right like yeah to not include children on that list is insane like that's they were this is not a very smart set you don't say. Um, so the helicopter is being piloted by a Vietnam vet named Dorsey Wingo. Um, mm-hmm. A special effect device called an air mortar was under the helicopter. Wingo was to hover over the mortar and then turn the helicopter 180 degrees to the left for the next camera shot. The mortar went off when the tail rotor was still above it, causing the rotor to detach with the explosion of air and the helicopter lost control. At the same time that this happened, Morrow had accidentally dropped Renee into the water and was bending to pick her up when the helicopter came down on top of himself and the two children. Oh! Morrow and Micah were killed by the helicopter's main rotor blades, while Renee was crushed by the right landing skid. All three died instantly. Maybe, like... And I'm not gonna go, like, I'm I'm not gonna say it, but... And go into, like, the detail about how Moro and Micah were killed but the, from the fact that they died from the helicopter's main rotor blades I'm pretty sure everybody can kind of yeah, piece together what, piece happened, together what happened that, um, mm. but because there was a kid I don't want to yeah, outright that, yeah, say no, it like, like, it's we can a leave it there. seven year old okay. kid that like like okay at least at like it's my heart is just like has just plummeted that that's how they went out but at least they like at least it was painless like, at least Hopefully, if it was yeah. instant, then they didn't have to feel it. Yeah. Um. That's, like, my one seat of, like, just consolation, I guess. Like, it's just that, like, oh, man. I can't imagine for the parents who literally watched this happen. Because the parents were on they set. Were oh, yeah. no. At least... I can't imagine being a parent, being told that the kids weren't going to be anywhere near the helicopter, and then watching this happen. Like, I would be furious like they went like oh murder charges would be like flying around because i would there were like so there were like a lot of lawsuits um like the parents and everybody did do a lot of lawsuits (laughs) the crew and stuff were blaming it on everybody else except for themselves even even like the pilot and stuff was like, like the pilot was very much like super like i like felt so bad about it right um but everybody else was like blaming other people including the parents and blaming and blaming and then even blaming moreau and stuff like that where it's like um no (laughs) like you guys put the kids in the situation yeah that's so messed up that's so messed up that they would like to try to blame the parents after specifically not telling the parents that the kids were going to be near helicopters and explosions is like yeah and, like, even at this time, there were regulations that kids weren't technically allowed to be on the set with these kind of things happening. Like, you're supposed to be that you film this, then you film with the kids, or vice versa, right? That you... Right. Is it right? And then just figure it out how to splice it together, but mm-hmm. they didn't listen on this one. Regulations, really, those... though, mm-hmm. were changed soon afterwards, as there had been new regulations about aircraft safety during during filming, but these didn't include helicopters. So the new regulations about aircraft safety became to include all types of aircrafts rather than just, like, the few. Like, I I don't even know how this got through without, like, including all types of aircrafts possible. How? 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 <laughs> 
but remember, this is like the eighties. Like, like this is like the late seventies, like, early eighties. So I don't know, but yeah. Come on. Um, and then safety committees were set up through all major production companies and guilds to better protect cast and crew, especially when special effects are in place. Because I think that like these more dangerous special effects were kind of still new um, in the film industry like a lot of the time like the special effects were done on like a like a model and then filmed so that it would look like it was like done in like real life so i think Mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff was definitely new so last little bit on this i just want everybody to be aware that if you google this incident the video Mm -hmm. footage of the crash is online it's great quite graphic and heartbreaking so i do not recommend clicking if it's something that could trigger a trauma response I only found this out because I googled about, like, I was researching to find out more facts about the thing, and I'm like, oh my god, there's literal video footage of it online. That's, that's, that feels disrespectful. Like, that, how, how, okay. This, okay, so I've got, speaking of the footage being available to watch, are the kids still in the movie at the end? Like, at the end of all of this, at the end of everything that happened. I haven't watched the movie. Okay. So... I don't know. I think they might still be in the movie, possibly, but... Okay, because if they essentially killed these kids by just disregarding all of the safety rules pertaining to them, and then still use them for profit, then I'm disgusted. Like, I mean, I, mean, like, I'm I haven't disgusted watched it, so I have still, no idea. Like, even more so. Like, yeah. Uh, and that was Twilight Zone? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, I haven't seen that one either, but that one's like... Like the a TV huge, show like, is huge. I think movie for sci-fi. Like I, I think like, the movie, I know this movie the, bombed. Like, like this actual movie ended up bombing in theaters and stuff, or what, or like however it got done. Yeah, but yeah, I man, yikes. Yeah, lots of yikes. Not too much um, happier on mm-hmm. a note. Um, the next movie I want to talk about is The Crow from 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is based on a comic book that is a supposedly cursed set that hits a little bit too close to home with some of the current mm-hmm. issues surrounding the set of Rust with Alec Baldwin. I've um, seen this one. So it's mostly famous for the onset death of Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, when a prop gun mm-hmm. had a live round rather than blanks. As with the Rust shooting, um, there were mistakes made by multiple members. For some reason, the weapons master was called away from the set on the day of the shooting of shooting the scene, um, where a character called Fun Boy shoots Brandon's character. The prop master filled the gun with blanks, but never checked the barrel. When "quote unquote" Fun Boy shot the weapon from a close range, the live bullet hit the stem of Brandon's aorta, which is a mortal wound. Several blood transfusions later, he passed away. There were eight days left in filming, so they rewrote scenes and filmed as little as possible, using the stunt double as well as early forms of CGI when absolutely necessary to, in order to get the film finished. The actor who played Fun Boy, Michael Massey, was haunted by the incident with Brandon Lee and lived with his guilt even though he wasn't fully to blame for what happened. His statement was that it shouldn't have happened as he wasn't supposed to be holding the gun at the time of the shooting, um, but that the director had changed things last minute. Huh. But this film was having issues from day one. Um, so like, this is what? just a list of all of the incidents, <laughs> basically, that happened on set before this incident. Okay. Um, a crew member was driving a cherry picker to set up lighting when he crashed into a ditch. 
While trying to move the cherry picker, the crew member was lifted up too high and he went right into an electrical pole. All his organs were fried, but he somehow managed to survive. He was 26 and had a pregnant wife. But he did survive. Oh, I'm glad he survived, but still, like, yeah, ah, Like, that ow. is all for that young of a person. Um, on the oh, third man. night of the film shoot, a prop truck caught on fire with no explanation as no one was near it at the time. What? Okay, this does sound, like, like very, like, very cursed. Like, that's... Yeah. How? Um, a stuntman almost died while preparing for a scene when he fell through the rooftop set. He luckily walked off with only a few broken ribs. Ooh, that's lucky. Um, a second crew member was electrocuted when he was working on one of the metal set buildings with a grinder and got too close to the power lines. He was burned okay. on his face, hands, and chest. Ouch. Um, throughout filming, the crew battled Mother Nature as well. Um, they were filming in North Carolina, which is usually balmy, but instead they were working through freezing cold temperatures and a hurricane ripped through, causing a lot of damage to the sets. Like, this movie just had, like, oh. everything hitting it. Seriously, at what point do you just go, you know what, <laughs> listen, I know we put a lot of money into this, but, like, maybe we should call it a day. Like, maybe this is a sign. Apparently don't you don't in the film industry. Clearly, holy. Okay, next up is one that I'm pretty sure everybody will know this movie. Titanic, 1997. <laughs> what was um, on Titanic? So there, it's a classic movie and one of the all-time highest grossing box office hits. Hell, there's even a mm -hmm. board game based off of the movie that was released in 2020 mm -hmm. where you can play as Jack, Rose, Cal, Ruth, or the captain to try to save as many passengers as possible before the ship sinks. Yes, spoiler dark. alert, the Titanic sinks. What? Uh, my it's kind of dark. Who came up with that? <laughs> Um, hello, we played, like, H.H. Holmes' Murder Castle or talking or, like, the Jackson Ripper one, like. <laughs> listen, listen. We can't talk about That's dark. Do. That's an act. Okay, those are intentional acts. Titanic was an accidental tragedy. Everyone involved was innocent, except for maybe the guy who ignored the warning about the iceberg. But even then, probably still relatively innocent. Probably didn't deserve that. H.H. Holmes, we can play and make fun of. But then also, we escape in, H. H. in the H.H. Holmes games. If you play well. Oh no, it's like, yeah. Yeah, you can, or you can get killed by H.H. H. Holmes. Or, or, you, or you lose. <laughs> um, and then the Whitechapel one, you you play either as Jack the Ripper or the police officers. So either you can get away <laughs> with the murders or... But yeah. So yeah, spoiler alert, the Titanic sinks. My mom has a great story about uh, when she went to go see it in theaters. And someone actually cried out, like, oh my god, the ship sinks. And everybody's like, where the heck have you been? <laughs> It's okay. That's always the funniest to me when people like act like you can have spoilers for the Titanic, besides for like the fictional stuff, obviously. But when they're like, when the people don't realize that like that actually happened, yeah. that is the funniest thing. Because so, yeah, it always comes up in things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, this movie makes my list not just because I'm obsessed with the history of the ship, but because it had a <laughs> ton of problems on set including a chowder incident on the last day of filming in Nova Scotia. But we'll get there. Oh, no. First, I want to mention that this um, was the film that cemented the reputation of James Cameron as the scariest man in Hollywood. He was a perfectionist and super demanding. This is a man who literally dove down to get real footage of the sunken ship and then had a massive, nearly identical model built all during pre-production. Okay. 
I yeah. mean, that's bold. So, like, they were already, like, very far in budget-wise before, like, anything was really happening. Yeah. Um, Kate Winslet um, actually chipped a bone in her elbow during the filming, and then she was also terrified of the 17-gallon tank that they shot the sinking scenes in as she had a fear of drowning. She also admitted <laughs> to being just as terrified of Cameron himself. They cast a woman with a fear of drowning in the Titanic? Apparently, yes. What in the hell, Hollywood? I guess it wasn't on, like, the questionnaire, like, check yes or no if you're afraid of drowning? It's the Titanic! She has a fear of drowning? Are you kidding me? I mean, maybe she didn't realize that she would have to be in, like, a whole tank of, like, whole tank thing? The Titanic! Um, I'm gonna lose it. What on earth? Are you serious? Like, her agent did her dirty. Like, that's, like... Yeah. Like, I mean, she got, like, super famous from the role, but, like, ah, 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 oh, that would be miserable. Um, it gets more miserable for the cast. So the whole cast uh, and crew got super ill throughout the filming, extending the shoot by about a month, um, as they got infection after infection due to spending so much time in cold water. They took that long to do the cold water scenes. Well, I guess it took... Well, I mean, there was a lot of scenes in the cold water. Was there, though? Yeah, because, like, like, well, like, they're running through it on the ship um, at different points, oh, yeah. right? Mm, I forgot um, about the part where it's floating the ship. That, that makes yeah. sense, actually. Um, three mm-hmm. stuntmen broke bones on the set, and Ooh. crew members were, were quitting constantly, likely due to the demanding nature of the film and James Cameron. Yikes. Um, we all know the song My Heart Will Go On, performed by Celine Dion, <laughs> but we almost yeah. didn't get to know it. As Cameron mm. was adamant that the score would be instrumental only and no vocals would be in the movie. The song was really? written and recorded behind his back and then they waited until just the right time to share it with him. It took him a few listens before he finally agreed to put it in the film. This might be a myth, but I have heard as well that Celine Dion actually didn't like the song. She recorded it once and that's the take that they used. Yeah, I think... Like, that was her trial run. yeah. Paramount Pictures uh, started panicking before the film was released, as it was already a large-budget film, but it ended up costing $200 million by the end of the day. Their suggestion was to cut down scenes to make the film less than three hours, as they feared that the length would cut down the revenue. That people wouldn't sit for, like, for that long, right? Um, no Cameron... one sits for a three-hour movie. <laughs> I mean, we do when you look at, like, the Marvel movies. And I'm making I'm making a joke because I'm a Marvel fan and Endgame was like three hours long and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people sat through the entire thing. Well, I mean, I sat through it twice. Look at look at us like when we like when like Netflix will just drop an entire season of a show and we'll literally sit there for like oh, ten totally. hours just to binge it. But people won't mm-hmm. make like long movies. It doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. But yeah, so Cameron refused, of course. Like, and so we have the movie. In its lovely three-hour entirety. Yeah. Um, I actually, when I like when I finally watched it, I had to watch it in like bit like chunks um, because I couldn't just mm-hmm. sit like I couldn't sit through it like I didn't have the time and everything right. And I remember actually like having a nightmare and stuff like that. The Titanic was literally like like sailing over top of me in like the futon bed that I was sleeping in because it was super hot that. That summer that I watched it, 
and just having this massive nightmare and it took me like so long to get to the second half because I was just, like freaked out that I was gonna have like another vivid dream as a kid yeah that's fair I watched the entire thing with like two or three other friends like over the course of the sleepover so we watched the entire first half hit the intermission and I was like all right that was weird ending but okay and then they were like no it's not done there's a second VHS and I was like are you kidding me yeah <laughs> it was like and I that was in my like not like other girls phase like and like early high school late middle school so I was like this romance is boring I don't <laughs> care anymore I want super spies and heroes please thank you I mean they kind of become like super spies ish <laughs> like <laughs> Like, they are, like, trying to hide from the crew and I stuff on the film, so... Like, I appreciate it in retrospect. It, like, I appreciate it in retrospect, and I think I've, I think I've watched it again since then, but, like, yeah, at the, at the time, I remember being, like, quietly fascinated, but outward being, like, outwardly, like, trying to put on this persona of, I'm super bored with this, this is way too girly. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, one more fun fact mm-hmm. before we get to um, the chowder incident. So, the scene where Jack is drawing Rose, mm-hmm. it is actually James Cameron's hand doing the drawing, because Leo Leonardo DiCaprio couldn't draw worth shit, and what's actually funny is that Leo is right-handed, but James Cameron is left-handed, <laughs> so literally it's the left hand doing the drawing, even though Leo was clearly right-handed because I think he actually used like writing stuff during like the actual film so you can see that he's right-handed but then there's a left-handed draw person doing the drawing that's hilarious I was just thinking back to that scene and trying to think if you could see his fan like his hands and his face and at, at the same time and if the no. um like no no not at all during no. that scene okay because that would have been really funny <laughs> um okay so on August 9th 1996 mm-hmm. Cameron and about 50 crew members were all rushed to hospital after they had a seafood chowder for their midnight lunch on an overnight shoot. At first, it was suspected to be food poisoning, but then it came out on August 28th that they were all literally poisoned. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. Someone had added the drug PCP into the soup. Actor Bill Paxton had originally planned on eating his own food in his trailer, but made the last-minute decision to eat with the rest of the crew. He reported that it didn't take long for the drug to take effect, and that the entire group had had such different reactions, from panic attacks to laughing, crying, throwing up, or a mix of them all. I Okay, first of all, unluckiest decision that he ever made. Second of all, like, who? Why? Um, so it's still unknown to this day as to who laced the chowder because the investigation, like, literally ended, I think, in, like, 1999 because, like, they were like, okay, let's just move on. Um, but Cameron actually suspected his soon-to-be wife as the culprit as she was one of the few who didn't have any interest in eating the soup. What? Okay. I, what, what was going on between him and his, you said soon to be wife, so fiance, I guess, like, what was going on between them that he thought that she would have a motive, like, I'm not sure if they were, like, together during this, but basically he was, like, she was, like, one of, like, the very few who had no interest in eating the soup, it was, was, like, one of the other actresses or something from the movie, and she had, like, they still get married, and they still got married later on, like, even though he suspected her of, Poison, literally poisoning him. 
I guess. I mean, I don't think... Are, it, it, okay, is he dumb? <laughs> yes. If you think he possibly poisoned you, you don't marry them. What? Like, what? I think he, I think he, like, said, like, I think he said it, like, sometime after, like, a divorce or something, but... Okay. So, like, so possibly a little sus, but I... Does he realize that that just makes him look stupid more than it makes her look bad? Like, I... Uh, my yeah. guy. So, okay. who the heck knows? Um, but, yeah. The entire cat, like, the entire casting crew on that night were all given PCP. And apparently it was just chaos on the set. Yeah. Um, until, no they, until, like, they kind of finally... Somebody called for an ambulance, like, for the ambulances multiple ambulances i guess to or like to take them to the hospital the hell what's pcp like i guess it was like easy to hide in the soup i don't know was it like the easiest access like okay it's soup it's soup for cast and crew so it's going in a massive vat so how much did they have to put in for it to have that strong of an effect in everybody how did they come by this i am confused it's hollywood in the 90s it was like a lot of drugs like so i'm not surprised i I don't i I don't even question that they could get a hold of it i just question as to what (laughs) like i mean like were they mainly maybe trying to like take out cameron like hollywood in the 90s was it maybe meant to be a prank and they got the dosage wrong and it had way stronger of an effect than they thought it would maybe but i I mean i don't know i wasn't on that set (laughs) (laughs) And they just, like, stopped. They just gave up investigating that. Yeah. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in history. I... What? <laughs> yeah. I have questions. So do so... I. For, like, almost all of the... Like, all four of these sets, I have questions as to what the heck were people thinking. But, yeah. Shall we move it on to a lighter-ish note? <laughs> sure. So, hang on. I lost count of your movie sets. So is that all four? Yeah. Yeah. Because you said... Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was Winter's Kill, Twilight Zone, The Crow, and then Titanic. I could have done, like, a lot more. Yeah, there's um, so many cursed movies. There's, like... At, like, I think it's, like, there's, at least, like, over 20 movies that are considered to be cursed. And then there's a mm-hmm. pile of movies as well where people in real life have died while watching the movies in, like, theaters and Ooh. stuff. Thanks. So like, there's, like, a lot that, you, that like, we could cover, but I was just, like, I'm just gonna take these, like that are kind of more interesting than I figured that most people probably hadn't heard a lot about them. Mm -hmm. Or big ones that aren't necessarily wildly known stories. Yeah, like everybody knows about like The Exorcist and stuff like that and like those curses, but... Haunted movies, I feel like it's easy to throw the word cursed at them because like they're already dark and scary, so it's not, like, that far of a stretch to think that the set would be dark and scary and have, like, crazy things happening as well. So you're kind of, like, looking for it. And, like, yeah. The Exorcist is Cursed it has, like, a big, like, um, like headline potential. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, oh, very yeah. clickbaity. So people, like, look for those kinds of stories when they're going to report them as well. It's a little bit confirmation bias. But to hear it from, like, the Titanic and, like, movies that aren't necessarily like i mean twilight zone and the crow kind of are a little bit like darker well i guess the first three are a little bit darker to begin with but they're not like horror necessarily yeah like none of like i think the crow's kind of like the closest to horror mm-hmm. um i had like other ones like 
I think Apocalypse Now or something had like massive like storms and stuff that or something that killed people. Um, there was one film that actually never got made because um, the four leading men, like they had like four possible leading men, and like each one, as soon as they signed the contract uh, or no, like, or we got into like um, talks for the movie, somehow like mysteriously died. So it ne- so the movie never got made because they literally went through like four different lead actors before they were like, okay, yeah, nope. <laughs> Forced yeah, too many, see, like, we're not even going to bother anymore, like, we can't keep see, doing this. Right, like, that's the reaction I expect when we talk about cursed movie sets, but to hear so many stories about, like, everything went wrong, people got hurt, people died, and we just kept going, like, you know, YOLO, like, let's get this thing done, you know? Like, I, I, I it breaks my brain every time, like, I, yeah, I, I feel like more people should, like, kind of take a page from that book and just be like, you know what? Four people is four too many. Maybe we call it quits here. Yeah. Like, oof. Well, that was even before the movie even started getting made. So they were at least oh. smart enough to be like, okay, yeah, no, there's something wrong with this. Let's just not even bother putting anybody bad else start. at risk. Yeah, just bad start. Time to call it quits. Yeah. All right. Poof. Wow. But- so. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
now we can go on to the uh, curse of Macbeth. Yeah, so much lighter, so much lighter. It is actually, it is actually quite a bit lighter. Ashley, yes. what do you know about the Macbeth curse? I just know that you are not supposed to say the name Macbeth anywhere, like inside or near a theater. Basically, <laughs> I so don't know good. exactly why. Like, I know like there's like like the rumors of curses around it, but I'm like, I don't know mm-hmm. exactly why or anything. Sorry, we'll get into the rules for it a little in a little bit, but we're going to start with the history. So let me take you back to the early 1600s. James VI is the king of Scotland, and he is obsessed with witchcraft. There was one theory that I found that uh, said that this was compounded by his mother, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, being violently executed in response to a plot on Queen Elizabeth's life. Don't totally know why that translates into witchcraft, because witchcraft had nothing to do with her story. But you know what? Trauma does strange things to people. So I mean, it's like, a theory. I would, I would be, like, addicted to witchcraft, too. <laughs> I don't know. Like, wait, wait, was he, like, into it, like, in, like, a good way? Or, like, oh, into no. it? No, 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 no. No, no, no. this is, like, like the story of, like, the actual, like, witch trials, isn't it? It's witch trials. It's okay. in a witch trials way. He is not pro, like, Wiccan lifestyle. He is, he is burn the witches. Like, he is. Okay. So he's obsessed with it in, obviously, like, a very dark, negative way. Like, this is, like, you know, Great Britain, essentially, in, the, like, the 18, or, sorry, 1600s. It's, it's not in a good way. So, uh, so the National Library of Scotland uh, disagrees with the theory about it being about his mom. And they say that he was skeptical about their existence before 1590. Uh, so what happened in 1590 that changed his mind? Well, he got married to Anne of Denmark, for one thing. And on the way back, the newlywed ship gets swept up in a particularly violent storm. So this connects back to witches in a second. He was told that this was the work of the North Berwick witches. Okay. So basically, there is like a local coven. And he was told, hey, this storm that you were a part of, these witches caused that. They're trying to they're trying to unalive you. So yeah, so there was a local coven, uh coven, coven. I I words are hard. And he was told that these witches caused a storm and they're trying to take you out. But he's still skeptical at this point. The witches have any actual power. He acknowledges their existence, but he's not convinced that they have any actual power. And so they investigate and the witches are tortured into confession, which happened a lot around this time, I'm starting to realize, which is yeah. wild. So one witch in particular named Agnes Sampson was one of these witches, and she has a couple memorable moments. First, her confession was that she, yeah, trigger warning for animal abuse mention. This is going to get uncomfy in a second. I'm not going to go into detail, but there is a mention. She tied parts of a corpse, doesn't specify if it's human or not, um, but she tied them to a cat, somehow used a sieve, like what you strain pasta in uh to sail out into the sea because that's how physics works and toss the cat with the corpse pieces attached into the sea to create the storm specifically to try to kill the king okay now you tell me if that sounds like physically possible at all um no you need an actual boat a sieve is not gonna hold a witch and a cat right (laughs) the cat maybe but not the witch as well but this detail is going to come back into play later so remember that save into the sea to cast the spell right so so to us it doesn't sound super possible we have some kind of scientific understanding of the world around us right but they were like well she's a witch they do weird shit it seems legit and so they took out her word for it our our friendly king james was still a skeptic though 
And so he decided he was going to question her himself. And he basically comes up, he's like, no way you're a witch. And she's like, bet. And he's like, bet. And so she's like, I'm gonna prove it. And he's like, bet. And she's like, bet. And then he said, she says that she can tell him what he and his new wife said on their wedding night. Okay. And we don't know exactly what she said to him, but we know that she convinced him for the rest of his life that witches were real, powerful, and out to get him because Satan told them that King James was his biggest threat. He was convinced of this the rest of his life. I don't know what this woman said, but she hit the nail on the head a little too hard. In a way, I kind of respect this woman. Right? Like, on the one hand, I'm like, ooh, you doomed, like, a lot of women to death. And on the other hand, I'm like, okay, but your insight was, like, on point, though. So how the hell? How did you know? Because like, she, like, clearly she got it word for word. Like, like, like peeping Tom, witch. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. So <laughs> this does all connect to the curse, I promise. So this turns into a huge witch hunt, right? Throughout like all of Scotland. Yeah. Um, and this guy is like in line to be like King of England as well. Uh, like after Elizabeth, right? So this is a, this is a powerful man who's essentially only going to get more so powerful. And he's like started this entire huge witch hunt. So it's, a huge like like political it's like a huge hot button issue in the public right whole bunch of people are arrested tortured and a good chunk confess under duress but no one cared about that at the time and are executed massive deal in scotland right like obviously and in 1603 he he did end up inheriting the english throne as well from queen elizabeth the first and became king james the first of england uh, and his hot takes became a hot topic in England, too. So yeah. now he's ruling both. These witch hunts are going on. They're a huge deal. Everyone's talking about it. What is art going to do? It's going to imitate life. So, yeah. So the pop culture of the day became very anti-witch as a means of accommodating him and England's fear of sorcery grew. And Macbeth was a part of this wave. Macbeth is not the only play that we see around this time that treats witches as like these scary, like monster sorts of creatures rather than women who knew a lot about herbs yeah so, so Macbeth was first performed in 1606 and was written in direct response to King James like kind of coming in taking power and spreading his you know witch hunt everywhere literally right off the bat act one scene three starts with the three witches or as Shakespeare calls them the three like weird sisters uh, talking about how the first witch wants to curse a sailor after his wife was rude to her Line eight, he, uh, she says, she'll sail out to his boat in a sieve to cast the curse. Lines 24 and 25 say, though his bark cannot be lost, yet, his, yet it shall be tempest tossed. Meaning that though they can't sink his ship, they'll make sure he gets stuck in a terrible storm. The rest of the curse describes it going on for nine times nine weeks. So quick math, 81 weeks, which is a pretty miserable curse. I don't think James was stuck at sea that long, but like creative liberties. This is a clear and direct relation to James's story yeah. um, about getting stuck at sea. I would hope that he didn't get stuck at sea for like 81 weeks. That would be like, a very, very long time. I think that was an exaggeration to fit the pros, but like yeah. the point was that it was a big, bad, long storm. And that is what he endured. Maybe not 81 weeks, but it was a big, bad, long storm. So yeah. Yeah, so that was, like, a direct, like, reference 
to the new king, which is an interesting thing to throw in to your story about witches concerning a king that is very anti-witch. Yeah, no, So definitely. bold choice. <laughs> I swear, Shakespeare had to have some, like, insight into the freaking royal family and, like, the nobility. I mean, that story, There's there would have been time for that story to spread, right? Like, yeah. that could have been, like, a hot topic of the time as well just as much as all the rest of it was because everyone's going to be talking about these witch trials and what sparked them and what started them and why the king thinks like this right so like um, maybe like I won't discount it like yeah I mean we also know that he was like close to Queen Elizabeth as well and she would have been like aware of the situation I'm sure so yeah no definitely so so far this is more or less all confirmable fact right like this is relatively undisputed we have records of pretty much all of this um, and from here, this is the part where we start getting into the legend. So, story goes that Shakespeare did a little too much research for this play and put actual r- witches' curses into the script. Uh, so, some people think that this is what cursed it, while others say that including the curses didn't cause it, but it did anger some local witches, either for their use at all or because they were included but incomplete, and these witches cursed the play. Okay. So... Regardless of origin, the rules of the curse are as follows. One, you hit the nail on the head earlier. Never say Macbeth in a theater unless you are actively performing the play. Two, never quote Macbeth unless you are rehearsing or performing the play. So you've already broken that rule. (laughs) Right? So, and three, if you mess up and say the thing you should not say, you have to exit the theater Either do a lap around the building or spin in a circle three times, spit on the ground, swear, or quote a line from a different Shakespeare play, and then either knock on the door and ask to be invited in or wait until you are invited in, which is essentially a purging custom and kind of ties back to vampire practices um, with uh, like needing to be welcomed in. So there's that. It sounds kind of ridiculous kinda makes sense for some of the other superstitions that would have been kind of around the same time, right? Yeah, definitely. Or maybe like a little later, but you know. So as to the effect of the curse, the story goes that like the effect of the curse isn't like clear cut in every single situation. Uh, But essentially it just means that bad things are going to happen. You may not know exactly what, but bad things are going to happen. So I also wrote out a timeline (laughs) Of, like, a bunch of different examples. I think I got to five. Okay. Five or six uh, examples of, like, points throughout history where the play Macbeth had some, like, like gnarly things happen um, that are suspected to be a part of this curse, right? So, story goes that in the very first performance, the actor who played Lady Macbeth, a man named Hal Barrage, died... And Shakespeare had to step in and play the role himself. Like, during the play? Or before the play started? Like, actually, like, got performed? Both both versions uh, of that are kind of, like, talked about. Like, there's, um, there's one version of the legend where it was during the play and Shakespeare had to swoop in and finish the play. And there's another version where he died, like, the day before during or like the same day during dress rehearsal or like the same day just before the play started right so also either in the same performance or in the next showing the prop daggers 
were replaced with real daggers, and when King Duncan died in the play, so did the actor who played him. Oh, jeez. Which is an absolutely tragic beginning, um, but the show pressed on. Uh, and so here goes the rest of the timeline. So, and we'll get, we'll come back to that story in a little bit. But in the meantime, here are other confirmable facts about things that happened during plays, like during runs of Macbeth. So 1721 was my next one, the next one that I found. And by the way, I found basically the way I found these, but I found a mention of one and then it led me to a mention of another and then it led me to a mention of another and it led me to like, it spiderwebbed out in like so many directions. There are so many more that I came across and I just didn't have the time to verify all of them. So these are just the ones that I took the time to verify. Okay. There are so many more. I'm not surprised. Here we go. 1721. There is a riot at the Lincoln Inn Theater that broke out when a drunk Earl cut across the stage to speak to his friend on the other side. The manager told him not to behave like that, and the Earl struck him. He hit back. A fight broke out, quote, with swords drawn immediately. Um, the ringleaders of the group were arrested, and the actors refused to perform without military presence. This was before there were police, so to speak, so let alone security guards. So it was the King's Guard acting as their protection. This is during a performance of Macbeth. Okay, first of all. The actors are on the stage. First of all, that is not yeah. proper theater etiquette. It's almost Seriously. as bad yeah. as plugging in your cell phone to a like, to the <laughs> stage set like somebody has done before. Oh, what's this outlet? No one needs this. Unplugs it to plug in their phone. Lights go down. <laughs> no, it was like, like on the set or something and somebody like just plugged in well, their actually, phone during the performance. That's so disrespectful. Um, my mom and I even like were at like a performance for um, the Diary of Anne Frank, and it was like in a very oh, yeah. small theater. Like there's only mm. like 25 seats or so. Right. Okay, and so the actors are like literally like on the floor, like right in front of you in the seats. Somebody walked right, right through <laughs> where they were performing to find a seat on the other side of this little like room. Me. No, we don't so, do that. That like, I would have. I was almost gonna like draw down like a sword on them because like rude. Yeah, that's so rude. That's insane. But like also, why were they allowing them to bring their swords? So that was like common practice. Like this is 1721, right? Yeah, but like so, still, like, like you don't bring your sword to a kinda, theater show. It's kind of like open carry at that point, though. Like you know what I mean? Like it's like it's not like I mean we're in Canada, so that's like not really legal here, but like. It, it was kind of a cultural thing. Just everybody had one. I don't know. But it was it was also a cultural thing that, like, nobility, like, the, you know, the fancy, the up and ups were allowed to, like, sit. Like, the front row seats were, like, on the stage. Yeah. Right? So this was, this part was common. The uncommon thing was that he drunkenly walked straight through the scene to start talking to his friend on the other side and then hit the manager when the manager came up to tell him no. So, yeah, so... So that's the the first story. And again, there are other performances of Macbeth like throughout these. These are just kind of the highlight reel. So the second story also happens to be a riot. Um, so 1849, we saw the Astor Place riot in New York. Um, American actor Edwin Forrest and English actor William Charles McReady were both playing Macbeth at the time for like two different theater companies. And they both developed a bit of a rivalry. And they had some pretty intense supporters. Like, who can so, play Macbeth better? Like, yes, 
Literally, yes. So who is the like, more insane people... of the two of them is literally their <laughs> rivalry. Literally, yeah, literally, it was just who's the better Macbeth? Who's better at the role? Who should be playing Macbeth? <sighs> and, I mean, if you think about it, like, stuff like this still happens, too. Like, we yeah. talk about six all the time. Like, there's, there's, there is, like, a debate online about who's better between, like, the British cast and the American cast. This is kind of the same thing, but to take into, like, the next level. So, McReady, being the English actor of Macbeth, decided to do a cheeky little American tour. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. And walked out on the stage of the Astor Opera House to a crowd full of Forest fans. Oh, no. It was a heavily policed performance, and apparently for good reason, because they rioted when they saw McReady on stage. Over a hundred people were injured and at least 20 people died. Like, did they not have, like, their playbill to tell them who was playing the role of Macbeth that night? Like, like were they told that it was going to be the American and then it just ended up being the Brit? I don't know. Or did they all know. go, oh, we know that the Brit is going to be there and so we're always going to go, like, I'm confused. I don't know. Nothing I saw about it said that they were deceived in any way or that they expected Forrest. It was kind of like, I mean, this is so far back in history at this point. Like it's, it's, I don't know the exact details of how this happened, but I frankly wouldn't be surprised if it was advertised as being McReady because like I said, it was heavily, it was a heavily policed performance. So they probably yeah. knew that there was going to be public outcry that it was the, you know, quote on wrong actor but like i i genuinely kind of think that these people showed up expecting to be angry and then the crowd mentality took over and it just spiraled from there jeez like out of hand so fast yeah the poor guy can't even put on his performance he steps out on stage and everyone loses their minds in like the worst way so the next performance that i've got is 1937 so the production at the old vic was plagued with problems it was the old Victoria Theatre um, in London in this one, I believe. Okay. So, first of all, Laurence uh, Olivier, star of the show, was nearly crushed by a falling sandbag, like, during rehearsal. Uh, another actor had a near miss in a taxi accident. One source said that he nearly went off a cliff. The composer couldn't settle on his musical score and, like, kept changing it and, like, could not get it to, like, be quite right. Okay. So he was having all kinds of issues with that. The set didn't fit the stage, so that's a bit of an issue. Just a little. And, yeah, just a little bit. And then Lillian Bayless, who was the founder of the Old Vic Theatre, became depressed when her dog died, like, during, like, the rehearsal of the run. Opening night was postponed due to other complications, but just before the date that they rescheduled it to, Bayless died. Okay. This being so cute. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So just before the the date that the opening night was postponed to, Bayless dies. Founder of the theater hits everybody hard, right? Yeah. Right? Olivier uh, overacted the final battle scene and kept wounding other actors who were playing Macduff. Um, I'm not surprised. But by just like fighting too intensely. Yep. And they went through like so many of them. Uh, and decades later in the same theater in 1954 Macbeth came back to the old Vic and a portrait of Bayless who remember died just before opening night of the last run yeah a portrait of her fell from the wall and shattered on opening night oh wow 
which is super eerie. See, I'm not surprised that one with Laurence Olivier would be so racked with stuff because I actually almost um, had one way because mm-hmm. he was in Rebecca, the nineteen like the 1940s version, and he was causing a shit ton of problems on that set um, because he hated the woman who who um, ended up getting the role of Rebecca because he wanted his wife, Vivian yeah. Lee, he wanted her to get the role. So he was a asshole to Joan Fontaine. And then Hitchcock decided, ooh, well, great, I'll continue on that because she needs to be in a poor state of mind and told her that everybody on the set hated her and stuff and everything. But, like, Olivier was, like, the one that was, like the worst to her mentally <laughs> wow so maybe the curse in this case is just that olivier was involved to be honest. yeah i would say that wow like, like that probably is mainly him so i'm not surprised That's that he would be like funny. aggressive at the mcduffs yeah but yeah he injured so many of them they had to switch them out like throughout the rehearsals throughout the show it like is a mess is a mess so now we jump up uh, from 37, we took a touch in 54, but we're going to go back to 42. So 1942. Uh, Beatrix Field and Kay, who played one of the witches, died within the first week of the tour of Macbeth in the West End. One other actor died or became ill and had to leave. My sources argued over which was true. And a final actor also became ill and had to leave partway through the tour. Oh, so, like, no. everyone's getting sick and passing away with this one. The tour ended in the Piccadilly Theater, and later the same year, the theater was bombed by Nazis. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised I... that they were kind of putting on one, like, in the middle of World War II, like, like knowing that that was probably not the safest. In England, like, it's, yeah. Yeah. Like, probably not, like, but that being said, like, in the middle of, like, one of the biggest wars of all time kind of makes sense that people would want a little bit of like mental relief yeah but also definitely like pulling crowds of people together all in one place is like maybe not the move yeah but i mean the piccadilly's still going because uh moulin rouge is currently running Mm -hmm. in it yeah like it's rebuilt like it's still going it's still like i found information about them being bombed from their website so they're still like around but yeah yeah, I just thought it was interesting that later the same year. That's crazy. So we skip forward to five years later in 1947. Uh, this is the last story that I got as part of my timeline. And Harold Norman played Macbeth at Oldham Coliseum Theater. He was apparently a theater rarity who wasn't terribly superstitious. Um, as, you know, Ashley and I know, and probably a good chunk of her listeners um theater people are notoriously superstitious but uh harold norman kind of said screw it and did not care Uh oh so (laughs) this is a problem so his story yeah so he apparently wasn't superstitious but his story very much is because during rehearsals he reportedly said the things that should not be said and ended up getting stabbed in his final battle scene like literally stabbed literally stabbed the weapon like it wasn't like yeah so literally stabbed by the weapon that he was fighting against in the final battle scene the wound got infected and he did die like he passed away from it 
Oh my gosh. According to an article by The Guardian, his ghost haunts the Oldham Theater in a kilt, apparently still in costume and reciting his lines. Wow. Yeah. I kind of want to go on a ghost tour. I want to see if I can find him. (laughs) There's a literal ghost story about the guy who didn't believe in superstition, and I find that hilariously ironic. That's kind of awesome, though. So, there were so many more stories, but it would take way too long to go through and confirm every single one. But this is your basic overview of the curse. And trust me, it does not take long to find more examples if you want to keep digging. Uh, There are even more mentioned in my listed sources. I just want to be able to get, like, a big kind of picture um, and, like, a better picture for what happened for each of them. So I didn't want to dive into ones that I couldn't follow up on. Yeah, no, definitely. So this is a lot of information. What do we do with it? Uh, Well, we can accept that the play is clearly cursed and follow the steps to purge our bad luck when we slip up. Or we can be boring and explain this away with science and facts. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Macbeth is, like, the only play that has been cursed, in a way. Like, um, mm-hmm. like the Spider-Man musical had oh a lot Spider-Man of issues. Musical. Every single issue with the Spider-Man musical. Like, so it's not like Macbeth is, like, the only show that mm-hmm. has issues, but, like definitely interesting that there's like the whole like that it's being like since it's first started that the theory of it being cursed is like a major part of it like so that's this is the thing this is where we come in with the science and facts because i'm about to debunk a bunch of what i just said okay so this is where things get spicy (laughs) as if it wasn't spicy enough already so dr anya I'm going to butcher this last name, and I'm so sorry. Dr. Anya Chauhan uh, told Penguin Publishers that the play simply scared people when it first came out. Everyone was very afraid of witches. They were afraid of sorcery. And we had this play that very heavily featured witches and sorcery as a like, main part of the story, which was essentially a horror story of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. So it already had this kind of air of suspicion about it from the jump from the get-go and that likely likely like would have affected the impact in the early reception like when it first came out right so later on like as we continue through history Macbeth gets popular because it's got this kind of like mystery kind of like aura around it like it it strikes home with people and it becomes big and it continues on and so there's kind of a statistical explanation that the play goes on longer tours because it's popular. It runs for longer. And so the chances of something going wrong just increase because there's more opportunity for that. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that Shakespeare has, like, apparently written so many plays and stuff, but we only really know of, like, the few. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, Hamlet, The Tempest, mm-hmm. Midsummer Night's Dream. And, like, those yeah. are, like, but then those are, like, the ones that were more likely to have to study in school Right, but like those are the ones I think that maybe scholars focused on more too. The the general public did for sure. Yeah, for sure. Whether scholars did or not, uh, but the general public absolutely did, um, and that would have made like a huge like impact on like how popular it was, and therefore how long it ran, and therefore like how often things went wrong. Right, so like yeah. it all kind of ties in together. Um, and then there's also the confirmation bias at play. So, do you, you're familiar with the term, like... Oh, yeah. With the term confirmation bias? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
so for anybody who's not, have you ever gotten, say, a new car, for example, you're happy with it, it gets, re- gets you where you need to go, and this car, this make, model, color, you never see them driving around town, but as soon as you own one, now you start noticing them all the time and everywhere. Ben calls them his car buddies. I see his car twins everywhere now. I always notice them. So that's confirmation bias, essentially, in a nutshell. Um, once you're looking for a thing to happen, you're much more likely to notice it happening more often. Yeah. So Macbeth is cursed, right? Or do we notice unlucky things happening during runs of Macbeth more because Macbeth is supposed to be cursed? No, that definitely makes some sense, too. I mean, personally, I would love it if it was actually cursed, just because then it would, like, cement my idea of, like, the supernatural, but... (laughs) That's a fun theory, but I am forever the skeptic, and so I'm coming in with the psychology and the science. I mean, like, I see the psychology, I just don't want to believe the psychology, (laughs) but I can, like, admit that it's there. Yeah. possibility. Yeah, it's absolutely a factor. Uh, We're, but confirmation bias, right? So this is where we get into the debunking of, like, the original story. So confirmation bias inherently has to start with someone bringing the thing to your attention or something bringing the thing to your attention. So where did the myth start? Well, this is where we meet Max Beerbaum. That is his name. It is Beerbaum. It only makes me think of Beerbong and I don't know, like it's, which is not a thing, but it's stuck in my head now. So every time I see it, I just think Beerbong. So if it slips out, I'm sorry, I'm trying. Okay. <laughs> but I just, I, I think it's hilarious for some reason. <laughs> so Max Beerbaum is a British satirist who was pretty well fed up with how popular Macbeth and seemingly Shakespeare himself were in the end of the 1800s. He was so mad about it. He wrote a review of Macbeth as performed in the St. James Theatre in London that was published in the Saturday Review of Politics, Literature, Science, and Art on October 1st, 1898. In this review, he says a few things uh, that, first of all, when a play has been... This is a quote. When a play has become a classic in drama, it ceases to be a play. Uh, And then he goes on to explain that when a play is fresh and new to an audience, it can be appreciated for the writing in the play itself, right? But when a play becomes popular and overused, it becomes, quote, a vehicle for acting and isn't appreciated for the play itself anymore. Instead, the focus is all spent on comparing actors to each other, like we saw before, rather than appreciating the roles for what they are. That kind of makes sense because, like, when you look at how many times people use Shakespeare as, like, their audition pieces or um, just, like, a way of being, like, no, look, I am a serious actor because I can do Shakespeare. Where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, but does that make you a serious actor or just somebody who's just getting in on it because it's Shakespeare? Which is, like, totally true. But also to tie it into the modern age, we still see this in movies today. You know, like um, when they make like a remake of a movie and they say, well, this person played that role better. Mm, And that's all the critics talk about, right? Is that like, oh, well, so-and-so played it first. Well, who was the best, you know, captain of the Enterprise, right? Like we see comparisons like that all the time. I'm blanking literally on any examples right now for some reason, but like, or, okay, here's an example. Like, um, the Iron Man movies, first two movies, uh, Iron Man's best friend, Brody is played by, uh, Terrence Howard, right? Iron Man 2, he's played by Don Cheadle. 
Okay. So we hear this like back and forth about like, well, they like, why did he get cut from the role? And like back and forth about like, who is human, who played it better and stuff like that. Right. So we see the same thing. We saw the same thing with the Hulk movie, which hasn't been remade with Mark Ruffalo, but the actor who played him before gets compared to Mark Ruffalo a lot and who played the Hulk better. And so it's like, you get this popular role and you get people comparing the actors instead of just appreciating the role for what the role is doing. So instead of talking about the Hulk, the Hulk's role in Endgame or whatever, we hear people talking about, well, you know, maybe, what's his name, Edward Norton? Yeah. Hey, I got it right. <laughs> I'm smart. Um, <laughs> so instead of like just talking about like the Hulk and his influence on the Avengers, we like, especially with the first Avengers movie when they first made the switch, um, you hear people talking about like, well, who plays a better Hulk? Is it Edward Norton or is it Mark Ruffalo? And people disagree. So that's what he means by like a vehicle for acting is that the critics just like are more focused on the actor than the role itself and can't take the play for what it's worth of that anymore. Hmm. Yeah, so he says Macbeth is victimized the most in this way, especially because it has two roles that are open to a variety of interpretation, you know, being Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Yeah. So remember the story from the very beginning about Hal Barrage, the first person to play Lady Macbeth, who mysteriously died the first opening night of the play and how Shakespeare had to step in to play the role? Yeah. That was completely made up by good old Max just to prove his point. Uh, so there is no record of a Hal Barrage ever being in Shakespeare's company. Okay. He, he does not exist. <laughs> he, he, he made up this example just to point, to make a point and like ask the question, like if Shakespeare himself had played the role, we would still be comparing, like we would just be comparing every actress who ever played Lady Macbeth after him to Shakespeare's perception of the character and Shakespeare's interpretation of the character and mentioning that it would be very inter- entertaining to see Shakespeare play the part and see how he interpreted the character, saying that writers barely understand their characters as well as actors do. So literally just a completely made-up story. Like, this isn't even the only story that he fabricated in that piece. He also made up the story about a captain at sea and, like, falsified an entire diary, like, not, like, a whole, like, long diary entry, but falsified a diary entry, again, to make a point. Like, this is a satirist who... Satirist? Satirist? Satirist, I think. Satirist. Okay. Like, this is a satirist who's just, like, he does not care. Like, he'll just say what he wants to get his point across, right? But not long after this review, we start seeing articles talking about how everyone knows that the play is cursed. Now, correlation, causation, not necessarily the cursed came about because of this, but it kind of makes sense that if he spreads this idea that a terrible thing happened on the very first opening night, which wasn't even his point, by the way, but he puts this story out there. Theater people are superstitious. They hear, oh, a bad thing happened on the very first performance of this. Other bad things have happened during performances of this play. Maybe it's cursed. Theory starts to spread. It could, like, it's a theory for how this curse started kind of, like, spiraling into what it is today, right? Yeah, no, definitely. So, Beer Bomb never outright said that the play is cursed and that wasn't even like remotely his point but society as a whole has never has never excelled at understanding satire no definitely so not it isn't impossible that the point was missed and the general takeaway turned into the play has always been cursed so even without an outright claim it kind of seems to be the start of a myth we don't really have a better pinpoint than this so uh yeah that's that's the story of the curse of macbeth 
Yeah, take what you will from it. I personally lean towards the consensus consensus that it's mostly just like confirmation bias and a self-fulfilling prophecy at play. Uh, but I'm still not going to go around saying Macbeth or like quoting Macbeth in theaters, just in case. Is it like, just in case? Like, just in just case. be safe. <laughs> like, call me superstitious. I just don't want to be the jerk that guessed it wrong and ruined someone's night. Like, you know, like. Well, especially because it may not, like, the consequences might not happen to you. It's probably going to happen to somebody else. Right? Like, this is the thing that I'm terrified of. Like, uh, like uh, even as an audience member, like, I don't want to sit there and just, like, casually mention and then have someone, like, fall off the stage. I would be mortified. Like. I should probably remember to do that when I go see <laughs> just a like, Shakespeare play. <laughs> just to not mention his other plays. Like, the other plays are all totally fine, But just be way. on the safe In side. Fact, like, just be safe. Plays. Don't mention anything but the play that you're actually seeing. Yeah. Unless like, you're seeing Macbeth, then don't even mention the name of the play that you're seeing. Yes, even if you go to see Macbeth, this still applies, by the way. You don't say the name of it, you call it the Scots play. Yeah. Or you, you call it anything other than Macbeth. Just, like, you can say it wherever, just not in the theater. Outside the theater is, like, nothing specifically said even around the theater. Um, but, like, the cure, it's interesting that the cure for it is just, like, lines from a different Shakespeare play. So you would think that if it was, like, witches cast a curse on the play, that they would cast, like, Shakespeare himself and, like, all the plays, right? But, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just don't want to end up being, like, a ghost haunting a theater, like, in a kilt for the rest of eternity. Personally, that's just me. <laughs> I've got other places that's I'd rather haunt. I'd rather it be a castle. I, um, I would haunt. <laughs> Just anywhere, pretty much. Let me find all the people who I don't like, and I'll haunt them. <laughs> but yeah, that's Macbeth. Yeah, Thoughts? we had such a nice, <laughs> light episode. All right. Mm-hmm. But then next week, yeah. you get a solo episode. Yeah, we're talking about Theodosia. We're talking about Theodosia, the mother and the daughter. Because both of them actually have pretty interesting lives. So, But like relatively short So combining the two of them into one episode seemed like a good fit. No, definitely. Yeah. And then we get mm-hmm. to go back to some more light topics with more death, I guess. What is, okay, what is after the Theodosia episode? Uh, Lady Poisoners and the Angel of Death <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> Listen, when we came up with this list, we were coming up with things that were interesting to us. And um, clearly didn't quite think through how dark some of these were going to be. To be fair, some of them, I didn't expect them to be dark. Yeah, I didn't but, expect like as dark. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll we'll tr- we'll try to we'll try to brighten it up respectfully. Um, I don't and... know if we are fully <laughs> for like until like December. We may or may not need to rearrange. No, actually, after we do have um, a music episode, and so mm-hmm. that's not going to be as dark. Oh yeah, Britpop and Mozart will lighten it up. We can cut out what it is. And then, that's actually coming up. Yeah. And oh, then, we're doing Synanon first, though. That'll be dark. And then, like, later on, we're going to have um, an episode on, like, James Dean and Audrey Hepburn, which isn't fully dark. It is a little bit tragic with the James Dean part, but Audrey Hepburn is less dark. Audrey Hepburn is a little bit lighter. She lived through some stuff, but she was, like, a beacon of hope through all of it. Yeah. Um, And she has a really, really cool story with, like, what she did in those situations too so yeah so we do have a couple lighter episodes coming up but there is some dark kind of stuff 
listen we can't always control what fascinates us okay (laughs) definitely and it's not like we it's not like this is named like the happy podcast (laughs) (laughs) we're talking about history so much of history is so much darker than we think it is exactly look into it too so like so we can't be blamed (laughs) speaking of passing the buck into curses no it's history's (laughs) fault that they were dark and we're just talking Uh about it it's not my fault i'm just telling the story now, if you're still sticking around at this point, though, I feel like you're probably the type of people who are kind of like us and can probably take it. So, yeah, we're all on this sinking ship together. <laughs> Hope for the best. Just as long as it's not the Titanic. I thought of it. I wasn't going to say it, but <laughs> um, I will be the one to say it. Yeah. This might be a good reminder to some of you out there. Check in with your mental health. If some of the content that you're consuming is too dark. Take a break. Come back later when you're like when you got your headspace right. Don't like I have a bad habit of doing this too about like getting really fascinated into true crime for a while, listening to so much of it that it starts to kind of weigh on me, and then um, having to just like completely set it aside for a little bit. It's not that I'm not still fascinated by it, but I have to make that like intentional choice every now and then when it starts to like hit a little too hard, right? So. Yeah, it, it may it may be entertainment. It may be interesting to you. But like, sometimes we just got to accept that the things that we like are not necessarily things that are always good for us. And I just encourage you to really be mindful of your mental health. Um, no matter where you're getting your content, make sure that it is a good mix. Okay, take care of yourselves out there. Exactly. And we'll we'll always be here to come back to. Exactly. We'll be around. See and in the meantime, don't say Macbeth in theaters. <laughs> don't say Macbeth in theaters and be careful with what you're doing on a movie set yeah double check those safety laws and regulations and respect them <laughs> all right blows my mind that people intentionally circumvent that yeah all right so until next time i'll see you on the weird side of history hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. 
Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.